0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. And here we go. Will you be what in the back, butcher? A little day, Alfred? Not very so. The Lamborghini then. Much more so. The dark night of PG 13, July 18th.
1: Welcome back to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway, where we continue our exploration into the director, Christopher Nolan. Today, we're tackling the big dog, the dark knight. Here with me, as always, is my co-host, Josh Page.
2: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. You're far too kind. Far too kind. Every every week, you're far too kind. Um, Far too
1: kind. Calling you a co-host is far too kind.
2: This is the big dog. Well, I, I mean, I, you know... you. I, this is this,
1: the Catalina fucking wine mixer. Okay? This is the
2: Catalina fucking wine mixer of everything that we've been talking about. If nothing else that we've talked about prior to right now has mattered, then this is the only thing that will matter that we're talking about.
1: This is just the film that Christopher Nolan is synonymous for. Dark I mean, Knight. Whenever you think of Christopher Nolan, the first movie that pops in your head is The Dark Knight.
2: This is it. You can't escape this film at all. It is the film that has created a reputation for a filmmaker and for the entire, arguably, the entire comic book movie genre. Some have said even one of the greatest films of all time, to which, uh, you know, you'll get the snobs every now and again who, because of its fame, will say otherwise.
1: It's, It's really not a big claim to say that this movie changed things forever it changed the perception of comic book films it changed the oscars it changed it changed perception my of just film in general i would say it's quite yes. uh it's quite quite crazy but we will talk it about its legacy at the end of the podcast
2: it gave, gave me a new change of underpants was, I, I uh, wanna...
1: was the joker there to help you change them in his nurse outfit
2: um no and i'm very disappointed
1: can we just point something can i point something out just of course real quick in that scene we will get to it later i just it always boggles my mind how long it takes harvey dent to realize that the joker is the nurse (laughs) (laughs) he's literally
2: like I mean, the fact that he has an audible and physical reaction when he removes the tiny little mask that we have all. That's what, all been that's what wearing I'm saying. The, the
1: fact that months. he has to take off that mask to know that it is the Joker beneath it <laughs> just boggles my mind. It's restrained. You have one eye constantly open, and you're telling me you can't notice that that's the Joker?
2: It's a real kooky scene. I would Do love to. Do you know how much more. this
1: movie costs to make? Let's start with that. Because it is. It blew! It blew oh. my mind. You can't look it up. That's not how the game works. <laughs> what game? I'm not looking at anything up. I, I see it through your glasses here. You can't see anything. 180 million dollars. 185 million dollars in 2008. Well, in 2007. Through my glasses. Get
2: the hell out of here! All right, keep going. 2007.
1: In 2007, Warner Brothers gave Christopher Nolan 158 million dollars to make The Dark Knight. That right. is. Mind blowing.
2: Um,
1: I know okay. that uh, he did Batman Begins, uh, and which, The Prestige. Which,
2: which, for the record, Batman Begins was 150 million. It
1: which was, is which is a lot of money.
2: It's more than you and I have ever had and might ever have.
1: That's the spirit. Um, <laughs> I think that you know, 150 million is a lot. It is, but that seems just like. I guess generally fair for a comic book movie but 185 million dollars is a huge budget and it made a billion so it made its money back and therefore made Christopher Nolan the golden boy at Warner Brothers here evermore.
2: This movie he was able to just put his name on a trailer and since this movie everyone knows everyone just sees his name and like you said even if they only know it for this movie, people see Chris R. Nolan, the director of The Dark Knight, and it's like, oh, okay, he's a person.
1: This guy, you know? this guy again. Scripting. Let's go into scripting.
2: Get so to a dog.
1: For comic book inspirations, they went for Batman, The Long Halloween, The Killing Joke, and Year One. I, I don't know how much you know about comic books, but that makes a lot of sense to me.
2: I know a little bit about it, Stephen.
1: Particularly The Killing Joke. Have you ever read The Killing Joke?
2: um i know excerpts i know the concept i have not read it cover to cover
1: it is fucked up yeah fucked up it is people have
2: said it's one of the darkest most um just kind of insane and in-depth um analyzations of not just the joker but of all of batman lore people have put it as as a hierarchy like a staple of like the importances of comic book at least in the batman universe um that that is, it's I mean, from what I know, from when it came out um, to now, it's always been a staple of, um, you know, Batman comic book
1: mythology. Essentially what it is, is uh, a comic book. Well, it, you know, it's just a one issue, a one-off. But um, it's the Joker pushing Batman as far as he can to see where his breaking point is, which he runs throughout the entirety of The Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. this whole movie is the joker just pushing batman pushing and pushing absolutely this time around david s goyer who is credited as having written the script did not he was just involved in the story which
2: makes sense yeah
1: instead jonathan nolan chris's brother came in to uh take over as co-author yeah and apparently uh Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan had to fight Warner Brothers a little bit because they just couldn't comprehend the type of Joker that Christopher Nolan was going for. Oh, really? They just couldn't grasp the anarchists that the Joker became. They thought that the Joker implied the Jack Nicholson, kooky, laughing clown. But speaking of Jack Nicholson, funny story. I don't know the validity of this, but rumor is he wanted to come back as the Joker for this movie. Oh, really?
2: I did not hear that.
1: That's crazy. I don't know. Uh, Again, I don't know how true it is, but I mean, that fucking nuts?
2: yeah, that'd be really funny. I, I like to imagine him just, uh, you know, just putting on different impressions of his kind of Joker and just, you know, Nolan or whoever at Warner Brothers was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This just isn't what we're going for. Well, while we mentioned it, it's funny because I have the IMDb trivia pulled up and the top trivia of it, uh, the top trivia moment is that um, Michael, in Michael Kane's opinion, Heath Ledger beat the odds and topped Nicholson's Joker from Batman 1989. And the quote from um, Michael Caine is that, Jack was like a clown figure, benign but wicked, maybe a killer old uncle. He could be funny and make you laugh, but he's gone in a completely different direction to Jack. He's like a really scary psychopath. He's a lovely guy, and his Joker is going to be a hell of a revelation in this picture. That was before, obviously before the film came out. And Kane bases this belief on a scene where the Joker pays a visit to Bruce Wayne's penthouse, we'll get to obviously, He'd never met Ledger before, so when Ledger arrived and performed. he gave Kane such a fright, he forgot his lines.
1: Let's talk about Heath Ledger. Most of my production and pre-production news has to do with him anyway, because sure. the sad reality is that there is a myth around him in this movie because of his tragic death mm-hmm. while it was uh, being worked on in post-production. Apparently, Heath Ledger, to get into character, locked himself in a hotel room for over a month. Mm-hmm where he kept a journal. In the journal included photographs of hyenas, stills from a clockwork orange, uh, clown makeup designs, and a Joker card. The last page just read, bye-bye.
2: That's bye. going to be a yikes from me, dog.
1: Yeah, but even through all of this mental torment he went through, he still did not send his, uh, his fellow actors used condoms <laughs> or dead animals like Jared Leto
2: he tried to go the extra mile without going the uh, without being extra if you, if you know what i catch my drift
1: i will say that jared leto's joker i don't want to like relitigate it but i don't think that it's as bad I, it's not that it's not bad it's just that david ayer got the axe out of the editing room and a lot of the joker sequences were cut so mm-hmm. i think that jared leto could have been a good joker he just was not given the opportunity to be a good joker
2: I didn't mind his take. I thought that he had a lot of potential. That's the word. That's the only way I can think of his potential. Yeah. Um, it, well, that's all the, you can
1: say because well, that's he didn't get a moment to shine in the movie.
2: The reality, like you just said, like he just there's not enough there for me to even judge. Like even to, to judge the character or his performance, and be kind of like invalid because there's only so much screen time of him. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Contrary to popular belief, he did not uh, go fully method. He uh, was normal on set and he actually would not go quote-unquote full Joker during rehearsal because he wanted to come in and surprise his uh, fellow actors and apparently he scared the shit out of the co-stars. The uh, makeup artist uh, went for like a cleaner Joker look, but Christopher Nolan was like, no, that's That's not correct. So Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan had to come in and steer the makeup into the right direction. And apparently Ledger, when he was getting his makeup put on, would make exaggerated faces in the chair so that it would smudge intentionally and look as though it's been on his face for like days at a time.
2: Interesting, because that's definitely how it looks.
1: In a uh, somber news, Christopher Nolan found out about... Heath Ledger's passing while he was editing the movie. Again, I don't know the validity of this, but he intentionally went in every day to the editing room and kept working at the movie right after Heath Ledger's Ledger's death because he just wanted to make the best movie he could for him. I mean, again, my guess is Nolan couldn't stop making the movie because he had a deadline, but he did dedicate the movie to Ledger in total.
2: Yeah. It seems to work out, and I mean, like, We don't have to get into it now, but it's like even just the whole idea of the um, posthumous effects that his, you know, his death had on everything. I mean, uh, you know, influenced everything. It influenced a huge chunk of what makes this movie what it is. I mean, I think if had he had that not happened, the movie still would have been successful, but it's just that's a huge staple into the, the history of this movie, you know?
1: had he not passed i know this is a hot take and you know people may not like it but i don't think he would have won he would have won the oscar if he were still alive i think he would have been nominated like don't get me wrong he definitely would have been nominated but if he had not passed the oscars would have overlooked him because he was in a comic book movie so you think
2: you what you're saying but you still think he would have been nominated
1: he would have been nominated because you can't deny the force of that performance
2: then who would have but
1: won? But I don't know. I don't remember who else was nominated I'd, with him. Obviously,
2: the the answer is obviously Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder. Obviously. That's the know. next most loved. No, he was actually nominated. But um, speaking of the
1: Oscars, let's talk about the Oscars. Sure. Got nominated for six and won two. It obviously won Best Supporting Actor for Heath Ledger. It, won, it also won sound editing. Uh, it was nominated for cinematography, production design, VFX, sound mixing, editing, and hair and makeup but if you notice what i when i read there i did not say it was nominated for best picture nor did i say it was nominated for best director which sure. was a scandal
2: a lot of fans were outraged and a lot of people feel like it's what changed the a lot of people feel like that's what even changed the decision to go from a, a five ballad to up to 10 ballad uh,
1: that's picture. where i was going with it yeah the reason that the oscars changed their rule was for The Dark Knight when it did not get nominated for Best Picture. And there was a huge outcry to the point where the Academy said, all right, we have to widen the pool here because we're not pulling in the movies that people are watching. You know, Slumdog Millionaire won Best Picture that year. Nothing against Slumdog Millionaire, but it's not a movie that most people are going to go out and watch, like The Dark Knight.
2: Well, it it makes you it well it brings this brings up an internal debate which we should not which we'll save for another time. But it's like it brings this eternal uh, this debate of what's what qualifies as as an Oscar film versus just like a regular movie or you know the difference between a film and a movie. And this is this is the reason this movie is very we'll, we'll be talking about it for generations. will be it'll be talked about long after we're gone. You know, it's just it's the kind of movie that's, that blurs that line between just, oh, is this just a comic book movie or is it a well-crafted film? And based on objective Oscar um, qualifications, I mean, this, this, re- this really is one of the most defining movies I've ever even, I can even think of that actually is a, an incredible example of a debate of what is it, where does it lie and why does it lie in that camp?
1: When we talked about Batman Begins, I noted to you that I think Batman Begins is the best comic book movie of all time. And I think that The Dark Knight just falls in a completely different category. You ready to get into the movie, Josh?
2: Oh my God. I really just, I, I'm, I'm really waiting. I've been waiting all my life.
1: So let's try and do this thing. Let's do this thing, man. All right. We open on Clear Skies in Gotham. As we narrow in on a building, the tension from Hans Zimmer's impeccable score crescendos. And that score, let's just take this pause for a second. That score, fucking amazing. Hans Zimmer, genius level in this movie. The
2: man knows what he's doing.
1: Do you know that the Joker score is only two notes that mm-hmm. are just building, building, building tension, but it's just never being released? Absolutely. Which is perfect. That's
2: It's good. It just makes you feel unnerving and... Um, you know anxiety ridden throughout as it goes it just builds and builds and you just feel more uncomfortable but the, the music never really changes.
1: Zimmer intentionally um went for a score that he said that he does not want people to be able to like listen to. It, that was his goal he wants it so tense that no one could listen to it. A window shatters outward men in clown masks <laughs> carrying guns erupt something nefarious. We then cut to a man holding a clown mask. The mask, by the way, is a replica of the mask that uh, was used in Kubrick's The Killing. Have you ever seen it?
2: Of course, yeah, I watched it in film class.
1: So good. But that was Uh, another heist movie, a bank robbery movie.
2: Nolan is a fan of Kubrick, as we've established.
1: But this man with the mask is waiting for a car, as a gaggle of clowns in a car, (laughs) and on the roof narrowing on a bank, it is, becoming abundan- it is becoming clear that there is a bank robbery taking place. It is also becoming abundantly clear from the henchmen and later from Gordon and Batman that the Joker is at large and is becoming a bigger and bigger threat. As the robbery progresses, the clowns are being taken out one by one as their jobs are being complete. They're literally killing one another as their jobs are being done. It's really incredible. Underlining the brutality of the Joker's methods and the brilliance of his scheme. For some reason, he claims he's not a schemer or a planner, but this seems pretty well thought out to me.
2: Well, I think he doesn't want to draw attention to himself in the sense of being a great um, heistman or a great criminal, so to speak, but we'll get on that later when we get to meet him.
1: As a brave but foolish bank clerk pulls out a gun from his desk, he opens fire on uh, the clowns robbing the bank, and it's becoming clear that this is not just money this is the mob's money the clerk shouts do you have any idea who you're stealing from the clerk is disarmed but one of the clown henchmen has caught on to the plan and says i bet that they told you to kill me once the job is done and we hear in a soft and terrifying voice no i'm supposed to kill the bus driver a bus comes crashing through the bank wall, which Nolan did for real, because... Because he's Nolan, and he likes to Nolan. do stunts,
2: as we'll, we'll learn in future movies.
1: But this was done actually, on the set, not at an actual bank. Actually, hang on. I
2: want to make note of this, because I don't recall. Had he done a stunt Had he done a stunt quite like this in any of his films? Because we'll learn in this movie, he sure. likes to do, as we'll learn in the, later in this movie with the truck, and in other movies, he learns to do the—he likes to do the big stunts, but he's never really done anything as elaborate in terms of at least—or as destructive.
1: Not as destructive, but something similar, I would say, is when uh, the tumbler crashes into the Batcave in Batman Begins, when it literally sure. does the jump into uh-huh. the Batcave. I mean, because he did that for sad. real. Yeah, right. the banquet. Wa- they filmed in a real bank, but for the bus, crash, it was on the set. Uh, the bank clerk, laying on the floor, unable to move, calls out to the one remaining clown, and he says, I remember when criminals in the city stood for something. What do you believe in? Ripping off the mask, we see Heath Ledger in full makeup say, I
0: believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger.
1: A seminal line To not just explain the Joker's methodology, but reinforce he's different from the rest of the criminals in Gotham. More brutal, more warped, and a person to truly be feared. The bus pulls out of the bank, onto the road, blending into the conga line of other buses. He planned this shit perfectly. Oh, of course. uh, Even though he doesn't plan things. The Joker has gotten free, but this is the end of the opening... uh, prologue, which is a six-minute IMAX opening. This is the first time IMAX was, like, truly used for a narrative film, which is crazy Bravo. to think about. Bravo. This is, this is big for IMAX and just theaters in general.
2: This was the beginning of the relationship between Nolan and IMAX. No,
1: just film in general, I guess. Just his affinity for it. This well, solidifies it. Alright.
2: <clears throat> <throat> mm.
1: <clears throat> What movie is that from? Come on, you know. Mm. Mm. Fuck, that's Will Farrell movie.
2: No, you're kind of close.
1: I don't remember. He's in a
2: board meeting. He's very awkward. Oh,
1: Philip Seymour Hoffman, A Long yep.
2: Shit. Oh, so good.
1: God, I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman.
2: I miss that man so much. In in what can only be described as a second opening to the film, we are ingratiated to the slums of Gotham but something is different. The streets seem more open, less crime-filled, with the bat symbol looming in the sky. Even drug dealers are afraid to sell. Drug suppliers have also fled, leading to mob bosses such as the Chechnyan.
1: yeah, the, uh, really over-the-top top actor.
2: So good. Buying product from our good friend, Dr. Crane. Killian Murphy, aka Scarecrow himself, which I got to say, I remember watching this movie and seeing that cameo and thinking, wow, I was actually very surprised to see him again. I thought they would have acted the character completely. Um, it's Me a cool too. little cameo. I'm the very thing about he- the
1: cameo, too, is just from the moment he's on screen, you could tell how much fun he is having, and um, I love I it. Do,
2: I do he- love that, man. He's a great actor. He really hasn't been in big roles, but like every time he's on screen, he's one of those actors. He's, he electrifies the screen. His fear powder has become the only drug on the market, so he should be in business for another day or two. Okay, I don't know if that's your estimate or if that's like a wiki. It's just my estimate. But out from the corner in the darkness emerges a man dressed like Batman, but carrying a gun, followed seconds later by another and another after that. Copycat Batman have begun to join the crusade against the crime in Gotham, much to Batman's dismay. The mob freaks out, but Dr. Crane, with his Batman radar, is not concerned until the Tumblr shows up. But this is a decoy to draw the attention of everyone as Batman comes from the shadows to bend one of his supporters' guns. Let me say that again. Batman literally bends a gun with his bare hands.
1: Bare down for midterms. But that scene is fucking nuts. Are you telling me he can literally bend the barrel of a gun that's crazy (laughs)
2: we are at this point the audience is supposed to be so endeavored and enamored with the character of batman that we will never ever question his antics or his skills but yes he uses his bare hands as in grizzly bare hands the only threat to batman seeming to be from Chechnyan's dogs in a badass scene, Batman thwarts the scarecrow with a perfectly timed, <laughs> I was just going to say that, with a perfectly timed drop on on top of his car. Uh, we're not going to get too much into the timing. It's between the school bus and this, throw timing out the window. Timing is flawless. Tied up is a line of criminals and Batman supporters. A support then asks what's the difference between him and Batman is to which we get the iconic. I'm not hockey pants. I think that's the first time that we get Bruce's disgruntled Batman voice.
1: Batman, who somehow sneaks past all the police in the the bank, joins Gordon in the vault that the Joker just broke into. But I'm sorry, like, how did he get past all the policemen? This is a crime scene. You're telling me he could just (laughs) walk into the vault? Are you crazy right now? Come on, man. Sorry. This
2: is Batman we're talking about.
1: The scene is small, but very important, as Gordon and Batman uh, ostensibly tell the audience that the mob's money has been radiated. They're trying to get to the heart of the mob's corruption. But more important than that, the idea of who could be trusted is put forward. Can Gordon trust his men? And more importantly, can the new DA Harvey Dent be trusted? On Gordon's non-answer, Batman magically leaves the scene. Again, he just magically teleports I think Christian um, Bale kept the teleporting man machine because he just leaves the vault. I
2: will say one of the most frustrating uh, view, uh, points of viewing of any of these Batman movies, no matter how good they are, uh, or, or or vice versa. I, I how quickly he disappears, I've never understood it. Because I get that that's part of Batman's mystique. He can he can disappear. You know, you turn your head for a second and he's gone. But like, come on. Based on the physiology of of
1: the in a crime scene without being seen, it's outrageous. And you know that he's not being seen by anyone but Gordon because the cops are supposed to arrest him if they see him. So Um, there's literally a scene in the movie. I didn't make a note of it, but there's literally a movie in the scene where like. One of the policemen has a thumb board, a thumbtack board. His goal is to find out who the Batman is, and on the board is Lincoln, Bigfoot, and Elvis. Yeah, this is some yeah. real detective work we got here in this uh, city here. I could see um, how it went to shit.
2: <laughs> my mind goes to I don't know if it's Family Guy where the train there's a character who's trying to disappear and the train moves past and all of a sudden they're gone. And then the, the camera moves over and the character is like standing there on the side and they like, they hadn't gone very far. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, it's the boring like, move. Uh, Alfred bringing Master Wayne his breakfast finds that Bruce did not come home to his luxurious apartment. That fucking apartment is amazing. <laughs> it is nice. But instead remained at the docks. A new and much sleeker bat cave is underneath the ground. How they built this in secret? no idea. How no one has stumbled across this new bat cave. No idea. Alfred walks in on Bruce, mangling his stitches. Alfred, in his ever-changing opinions about what Batman should be, tells Bruce, know your limits, sir, to which Bruce replies, the Batman has no limits, a quote Alfred will use against Bruce later on in the film. And on the TV, we are again presented with the question, can Harvey Dent be trusted? Or as Alfred likes to think, is Bruce's new obsession with Dent just related to Rachel?
2: Which, of course, it kind
1: of is. It very much is. He, Alfred is. Oh, well, no. Wayne does buy into Dent, ultimately. Well, uh, not ultimately, but during the movie he buys into Dent.
2: Um, there's an incredible video I need to send to you if you know Dan Harmon's eight-story circle. Yep. Um, his method of writing. Um, and someone applied it to The Dark Knight. And... Because the whole idea is that like a character is in a state of comfort, but they want something, and then they have desperately need, they desperately will do anything to get it then they like that's not how the circle goes, yep. and the and the from the whole idea of Bruce wanting to be with Rachel and to give up a life of crime, that's the cycle they use, but then they talk about like incorporating the joker and dent and all these things that method of storytelling they say is centuries-old worth of storytelling, like, since Greek mythology. But, like, he just found a way to simplify it, and it it works. And And that's
1: um, why, not to go too far off topic, but you've seen Rick and Morty, right? All the episodes. Oh, yeah. The episode of the the Vindicators episode, Dan Harmon has said publicly he does not like that episode because it does not follow his... It doesn't
2: follow the hero's journey. It doesn't follow
1: its eight-step journey. At the courthouse, Dent is given quite the entrance. He arrives very late to the courtroom much to Rachel's dismay, a a different Rachel by the way, but don't worry, Katie Holmes says that she doesn't regret not being in this movie.
2: Enter Maggie
1: Gyllenhaal. Dent and Rachel are trying to take down Maroney, the mob boss who took over the Falcone operation. While questioning an uncooperative witness, Dent almost gets shot. Somehow this witness was able to pull out a gun in the middle of a courtroom, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Did no one pat this man down? When the gun does not fire, Dent takes the opportunity to push him, to punch him in the face and take the gun and seem like the hero, which is building up the possibility that later people can believe that maybe he is the Batman. Look at what he did. After the courtroom scene, Dent has a meeting with Lieutenant James Gordon. Gordon wants, to, wants a warrant to search five banks known to be holding mob money. But all that is on Dent's mind is he wants to meet the Batman. The conversation once again raises suspicion on the people in Gordon's task force. But Gordon says he can trust them. He could trust his men. And the idea of hero and knights begins to emerge as Gordon refers to Dent as Gotham's white knight. Back at Wayne Enterprises, we are getting a glimpse into Bruce's work ethic as he sleeps <laughs> through a very important meeting. Bruce with, needs to sleep. With the Hong Kong banker Lau, But in this scene, more importantly, Bruce needs a new suit, one in which he is able to turn his head and can avoid dog bites.
2: Meanwhile, meanwhile, (laughs) very bad made of you to meanwhile. Meanwhile, in the kitchen in Gotham, the mob bosses are congregating. Lau is on the TV screen telling the mob bosses he has taken all of their money with him to Hong Kong for safekeeping of course, without their permission. An ominous laugh comes from the back of the room as the Joker enters. Enter Heath Ledger in all of his, well, we've seen him in his clown makeup, but now this is his first real scene. I thought my jokes were bad. After a magic trick, Nolan seems to really love magic.
1: I just wanted to make a note. It seems like He can't get away from uh, magic tricks. Second movie in a row we get a magic trick.
2: Coming off the prestige, the man loves magic tricks.
1: A trick is something a whore does for money, Josh. (laughs) What the Joker does is an illusion.
2: This is an illusion. A trick is something a whore does for money. The Joker then proceeds to tell the mob bosses what they have long known, but have not yet admitted that Batman has changed everything. Let's wind the clocks
0: back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Your your balls drop off? A guy like me, look, listen. I know why you choose to have your little group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately.
2: His taunt enrages the mob boss Gamble, but the others do not brush off the Joker as quickly. The, uh, deep down, they know that he is right. In order to kill the Batman, the Joker has asked for half of the mom's money. If you're good at something, never do it for free. I love that quote, by the way. Again, the Joker is taunting the mob bosses who he perceives as weak, albeit necessary for his rise to power. Joker also tells the mob bosses that Lau is not outside Batman's jurisdiction and that and that Lau will squeal the second he is under police custody. One thing that can be said about the Joker is that he truly understands his opponents. I really, what I love about the construction of his character is that it begins with him beefing with the villains. He's rubbing shoulders with other villains. So it's cool because he's creating a threat to characters that we would normally feel are antagonizing.
1: And you want to take it back a little bit, he's not perceived as priority number 1. Uh Batman and Gordon in the opening bank vault scene, mm-hmm. there's a moment when Gordon and Batman discuss whether they want to go after the Joker or if they want to go after the mob, and they right. make the conscious decision the mob is more important than one man.
2: Gamble explodes at the Joker's last insult and wants him dead or alive. The Joker with at least ten grenades attached to himself leaves the kitchen, but not before leaving his card with no information at all.
1: It's literally but, just a Joker card in any deck that you can find.
2: <laughs> I don't remember the line. I don't I didn't write it down, but I always love the line where he's he says something there like, Are you serious? And he's like, Yeah. And he just does that shrug like uh he's like it's i can't explain it it's just you think you could steal from us and just walk away yeah this will lead to the joker having to take out gamble to continue his rise up the mob chain this is when we get the amazing and often quoted why so serious monologue when he
1: kills gamble i'm jumping ahead a little bit so we don't have to cut back and forth oh
2: i really enjoy we could talk
1: about why so serious right now i remember in uh 2008 when this movie came out it was just ingratiated into the zeitgeist of culture in general culture at large it was everywhere um
2: it was one of those quotes that we may not have realized it at the time but it's one of those quotes that like when you look up the most famous quotes in in movie history it's one of those that has become embedded like um Whatever famous quotes, you know, I am your father. It's just, it's one of those. Something. And it, it, it kind of immediately became an iconic line. Arguably the iconic, the iconic line. It was on all the posters. They showed him painting it in blood or whatever, and or makeup. And it was just, it was everywhere. It became more of a statement than any Batman quote itself.
1: Reeling from the failed mob money seizure, let's not forget, Lau took all the mob money and went to hong kong so obviously gordon and dent are pissed and they're meeting atop the mcu building ironic that it you know that it's mcu it's uh gordon's unit the multiple something crime unit crime unit oh does
2: it literally stand for mcu
1: it's the acronym that they use in the movie is literally mcu
2: that's funny i didn't catch that uh
1: dent for the first time comes face to face with batman a plan is quickly formulated. Dent can make Lao squeal, but needs him back in the country. With extradition laws in place, that can only happen if Batman is willing to get him. Alfred, Lucius, and Bruce formulate a plan to get to Hong Kong rather rather quickly, I might add. Uh, Bruce will take his ballet dancer girlfriend, Natasha, to the Pacific on a yacht with along with Alfred, once in the Pacific, Bruce can take an unregistered plane into Hong Kong, which is astounding to me. Fox, on the other hand, will meet Lao on behalf of the Wayne Enterprises. Upon entry to Lao's building, Fox hands a fake cell phone to security. This phone, we will find out, has sonar technology that gives Batman the ability to see what's going on in the whole building. The night has come, and Batman is perched atop a building in Hong Kong, which was not CG, Christian Bale literally stood on the side of that building.
2: Him or Tom Cruise, you know? Get
1: on top of a building and- Tom Cruise is literally going to space for his next movie. Batman then shoots his goo gun, launching timers to the windows of Lau's building. Batman glides his way over to Lau's building and takes out his henchmen. Dragging Lau through shards of glass, Batman then makes his way to the window, latches onto an airplane and flies away. Lau is then found at the police station, unconscious, with a note reading simply, Lieutenant Gordon. The effects of, Lau's, of Lau in custody reverberates throughout the entire city. To the heroes, it seems like a victory. Through Lau and his excellent calculation skills, the Gotham PD was able to apprehend hundreds of criminals. The mayor, with a cigar cutter in his hand, with dent, ready to celebrate, but in many ways, The big winner of Lau's incarceration is the Joker. He was proven right in the eyes of the mob bosses, and the mob now lets the clown out of the box. The horrors are about to begin as a dead body wearing both the costume of Batman and the face paint of the Joker falls from a building with a videotape.
2: The tape holds the Joker's first public proclamation in a chilling hostage video, actually filmed by Ledger. I did read that. That's great. That's... The Joker announces that he wants the Batman to take off his mask, and every day he doesn't, people will die. The first three targets have been marked by a Joker card with DNA of Dent, the commissioner, and a judge. How the Joker got the DNA, you don't want to know. The judge is blown up by her car, the commissioner poisoned by his scotch, and Dent will be taken personally by the Joker at the fundraising fundraiser being held in his honor at Wayne's apartment.
1: Before the Joker crashes the party, a few seminal moments take place. Bruce proclaims to his guests and solidifies with Rachel that he believes in Dent. Dent is the future of Gotham. Dent took down countless criminals without wearing a mask. Dent, afraid of uh, trust fund babies at the party, pulls Rachel aside. He then asks her to marry him. She says, Uh, I'm not sure. Clearly split between Dent and Bruce's affections. The party turns as Bruce chokeholds Dent and hides him in the closet, which I don't know how the Joker's men did not find him. He was literally in the first closet in the kitchen. That's the first place you look and Bruce goes to change into his bat suit. The Joker then comes off the elevator shooting.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment.
1: The guests are trembling as this mass murdering terrorist that everyone just saw on TV earlier that day accosts everyone as he enters. Rachel finally has had enough and steps forward to confront him. In an amazing 360 shot, the Joker tells a second version of Rachel how he got his scars. I love it. Me too. I love that that it's a
2: little ambiguous.
1: The brilliance of that is it completely throws what little information you thought you knew about this man on its head. It's like, absolutely. you know absolutely nothing about this man.
2: Yeah, they could have ran with an origin story and they could have said, oh, you know, it's his childhood, his upbringing, this and that. And all of a sudden you realize, well, he's telling a completely different story. So obviously we don't know anything about
1: him. Yeah, we, obvi- we have to assume this one is a lie as well. So this man's origin story is a complete, mystery we are going to have uh, no idea even if he tells us we will have no idea what his origins i love it are. the story is interrupted by batman who somehow manages to walk past the guests the henchmen because again he just teleports right next to the joker and punches him in the face
2: what's the line you're gonna love me a little fight you i like that
1: And <laughs> you're gonna love me the party ends with the joker throwing rachel off, off out the window and batman jumping to save her How they're not dead, I don't know. Because he did not expand his cape. They just fall and crash into a car. I don't know how they survived. And a bigger mystery, how the Joker left the party, I have no idea. You would think someone would stop him on the way out. but No one knows. Who knows?
2: In the Batcave, Bruce and Alfred discuss the madness of the Joker, but really the larger theme at play here. As noted at the end of Batman Begins, The Joker is just the mob escalating the war against Batman. He spat in the face of every criminal in Gotham and expected them to take it, but still cannot get over the brutality and disgusting nature of the Joker. Alfred then tells Bruce about his time in Burma, and we get the iconic line, Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or
0: negotiated with. Some men... Just wanna watch the
2: world burn. The Joker's next target has been identified as the mayor of Gotham. Rather than switch the commissioner's funeral to an indoor reception, the entire Gotham PD and mayor are processionally walking through the streets. Bruce, out on his motorcycle, is trying to figure out how the Joker plans on assassinating the mayor. Ultimately, he finds himself in the trap the Joker sent In an apartment with tied-up cops, the Bruce is looking at the window with a timer. timer goes off, and police attention is moved to a window. The threat, however, comes from the ground when the police on the ground aim and fire at the mayor. Gordon, however, seems to take the bullet. I remember watching that in the theater, and it was this moment that would come into play later, obviously, when it was like, oh, no. Gordon's dead and it was kind of like it was sad but it was just very quick. So it's kind of like you just believe he's killed off very quickly and you don't think anything of it because the film literally doesn't let you mourn for him. The film just keeps moving.
1: It does let you mourn for him though. Like, that's the fucked up part, I think. You have the moment where Gordon's wife is being told about his death. She's crying hysterically and Batman is on the ledge looking at her crying.
2: Right, but the 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 stakes have been raised
1: they have been. you're absolutely you know
2: so like like whether or not you're attached to gordon he's a at this point in the story in the in the one and a half films you've watched he's a vital piece of the story so now you're supposed to believe he's dead and the stakes have been raised but the thing is you don't even realize how much the stakes are about to be raised even more so
1: with gordon's supposed death the need to catch the joker grows ever more important Batman threatens Maroni, but more horrifically, Dent, realizing Rachel is the next target, commandeers one of the arrested assassins, which is wild stuff. He drives that ambulance away in broad daylight with hundreds of cops around him. The door to the ambulance is literally open. He doesn't take two seconds to shut it. The difference in Dent's demeanor is felt from the moment we see him under the bridge with the felon. No longer Gotham's white knight, Dent seems to have lost control. He's flipping a coin to decide the fate of the man at the end of his gun. While we find Dent is much more controlled than we think in this moment, let's not forget the coin is one-sided. But we see the Joker's plan to unravel Dent is starting to take hold. Batman arriving to this medieval interrogation tells Dent to hold a press conference in the morning and he will reveal his identity to stop the Joker killings. At the press conference, Bruce shows up ready to reveal himself, but with Alfred's advice matriculating in the back of his brain, endure, Master Wine. Take it. They'll hate you for it, but that's the point of Batman. He can be the outcast. He can make the the choice that no one else can make, the right choice. Again, I have to point out, Alfred is all over the place when it comes to whether it should be Batman or not. (laughs) Which
2: is funny because he's often, and purposefully, I guess, in the writing of Nolan, the the Nolan brothers, is that he's ultimately the predecessor to what the films are ultimately about. They're literally setting up the ending. He's literally doing what The Prestige did. He's setting up The Prestige for you with all the pieces laid out. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like the 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 writing is on the wall. You just
1: don't want to see
2: it. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: The conference goes awry when Dent decides to turn himself in as the Batman as Bruce watches. Rachel in disgust flees Bruce, Bruce's protected apartment, which let's not forget the Joker broke into three scenes ago. But it's the most <laughs> safe place in all of Gotham. <laughs> but before she leaves, she gives Alfred a letter to give to Bruce.
2: Oof a pivotal letter. The chase is on. Dent is loaded onto a SWAT armored truck. He is to be moved from the MCU to County from the moment. The police escort takes its leave. There's a, uh, there is an ominous vibe. The sound goes silent and a burning fire truck blocks the road, luring dense brigade down to the dark underworld of the city. All of a sudden a garbage truck comes crashing into a SWAT car. This is an incredible scene, by the way, we can get to it in a sec. Amazing. An 18 an wheeler, with a circus emblem on its side, also emerges from the tunnel. Inside the truck is the Joker armed with a bazooka. The tunnel chase is a true feat for Nolan and the crew. It's really understated. And Once again, opting to use IMAX, this was filmed over a three-week period in Chicago. In an attempt to save Dent from an incoming bazooka blast, Batman launches the tumbler and takes a hit. R.I.P. Tumbler, but hello, Batpod. Talk about anticipation and suspense. The one wheel moving and him blasting, blasting out of there. Out. I mean, that is an incredible... So, so I just started blasting. So I started blasting.
1: <laughs> no, but you're right. It's uh, That's it's an amazing an- moment.
2: The chase leaves the tunnels and into the streets of Gotham, where more carnage ensues. As a police helicopter is ripped out from the sky, the chase is brought to an end with um, when the bat pod, uh with the bad pod, ba- Batman wires eighteen wheeler to flip, an effect which was done practically—a moment we have to talk about. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You can't really put it into words. It's just—it's practical effects that are done effectively in a way that's just—it's beyond cool. It's just—it's—it's it's effective. Just,
1: um, just to show how crazy of a stunt this is, when Nolan told his uh, his uh, stunt coordinator, his the people who are behind this what he wanted to do the person said that there was no way to actually do it like you're you're crazy like you're crazy man i, I like you but i like you're you crazy, being crazy. It, it took having to convince the people who lo- who blow shit up for a job it took convincing them to actually do this that's how crazy of a stunt idea this is
2: i love it and it paid it's off really- so well The Joker, disoriented from the truck flip, gets out of the car, not able to catch his balance, but nonetheless excited by the fun he is having. Another understatement. Uh, Batman, with an open shot to take down the Joker, is driving full speed towards him. All the Joker shouting, hit me. Batman cannot break his code he cannot kill and it, it it it's a moment that would predate the later conversation of him wanting Batman to kill him because it would prove his whole point of anarchy and i, I it's incredible I just love it, it gives it's me again
1: guilty. when you're watching it for the first time you are kind of like why does he want to get hit but when you watch this movie you realize when like all the way through and you get to the end you realize. That's what it's all about. He's trying to just push people to prove that they are just as crazy and fucked up as he is.
2: I don't remember which comic you had said it was. The Killing killing Joke. joke. Yeah. Where that was the whole point. That was the whole point. And this scene alone is just, it's it's quick and small and, and... I don't know it's 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 very it's not really focused on but it's happened it's it's crucial enough that you it gets the whole point across. I love it. <laughs> it gives me chills. Standing over the unconscious Batman the Joker almost pulls off uh almost pulls off the cowl. The Joker is only stopped by the very much alive Gordon holding a gun to his head. I remember being in the audience when that reveal came and the audience erupted uh with thunderous applause.
1: Listen, I, I'm not disappointed Gordon lived. I'm not but of course. there's one thing I hate in movies, it is fake deaths. They drive no. me crazy.
2: Of course, and in hindsight, and it's the part of a cynical part of being a film goer is that you start to pick up on tropes like this and you roll your eyes. I mean, we've talked about it in many films.
1: I'm sorry, I don't wanna make this a Star Wars conversation, but that is one of the things that drove me crazy about The Last Jedi. I can count at least six fake deaths in that movie. In one movie alone, you're getting six fake deaths. Like no The Last Jedi? No. No, Rise of Skywalker.
2: You said Last Jedi. Did I?
1: Either way, I mean the Rise he of Skywalker. This.
2: Um he... The movie literally
1: <laughs> starts with a fake death. The dead speak. Like fuck you. Sorry.
2: Go on. Well, that's why I was a little confused. Um I yeah, I mean and we can we you know we can cut all this, but you know, I remember when the Chewy Chewy's <sighs> death. I remember going, oh my God, they just killed off a major character. I'm thinking, like, there's no way that they would do it so disgracefully. And then, literally, 10 minutes later, the character is revealed to be alive. And I was I like, I wish,
1: wow. uh, listen, I know that there's a rule in movies never kill the dog. But Chewie's death in that moment and in that way would have it's meant so, so much. So to raise Ark, But again, I don't mean to digress into the Rise of Skywalker territory. An eerily calm Joker now sits in Gordon's MCU. As the police go through the contents of his clothing, all they find is knives and lint. There is no record of the Joker and more cu- just making the audience and the police more curious. The mayor then comes in, all cheerful again, and promotes Gordon to commissioner. And what a rough few days he has as commissioner. Within the first day, he loses a DA to an explosion terrorist attack.
2: <laughs> I imagine training for the job, like when you're learning like the ropes and someone's like, hey, anyway, you know, this is the department. This is where we keep the criminals. Oh, by the way, there's a wild criminal on the, on the loose and lots of people are dying. And we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll initiate you in, you know, as we go along.
1: It is quickly discovered that Harvey Dent never made it home, which leads to the beginning of the most enthralling sequence in the entire movie, or at least in my again. opinion. Gordon walks into a darkened interrogation room. The only thing he sees is Joker's white makeup glowing under a desk lamp, and all he hears is a taunt. Good evening, Commissioner. An additional taunt is thrown at Gordon when the Joker asks, asks him if his men really work for him. Uh, And Gordon replies, if we're going to play games, I'm going to need another cup of coffee. The good cop, bad (laughs) cop routine, slam. Right from the darkness, Batman emerges behind the Joker, pushing his head right into the metal table. Batman and Joker finally come face to face. You wanted me.
0: Here I am. I wanted to see what you'd do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people... place even to a guy like me that's cold
1: but what is so unnerving for Batman is that the Joker has a firmer grasp on him than he does on the Joker to the Joker this is all about the fun of destroying the city with his good buddy Batman
0: (laughs) I I don't want to kill you what would I do without you go back to ripping off mob dealers no 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 you You complete
1: me. The Joker is literally telling Batman that he completes him. This is all just about his fun with Batman. Much like Insomnia or The Prestige, Nolan again built to a sequence where two diametrically different but connected characters must face off philosophically.
0: To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. When they don't, they'll cast you out, like a leper. See, their morals, their code, it's a bad joke. You're dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you, when the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other.
1: Even worse for Batman, his threats do not work on the Joker. The Joker knows Batman will not kill him and relishes in knowing it. You have nothing, nothing to threaten me with but your brute strength. The Joker playing his game then tells Batman that not only Dent was taken, but Rachel was as well. Knowing Batman is the only one who can save just one person, the Joker tells tells him where the hostages are, albeit gives the reverse addresses. Batman is going after Rachel and Gordon is going after Dent, or so they think.
2: You say he lies about which person is at which location. The
1: Joker lies about who, where Rachel is and where Dent is because the Joker knows that Batman will go for Rachel.
2: Absolutely. And I will say that at that moment, because then you go into the next segment, but um, going off what you're saying about the prestige and insomnia, it's, I'm seeing a trend having followed, nolan's movies thus far is he seems to really love to boil down his protagonists and antagonists into a one-on-one scene he um,
1: loves the movie heat and it has clearly made an impression on him
2: it is arguably because there's there this movie's got so many great moments this is arguably the crux of the entire movie this it's is arguably the, the most important and crucial moment of everything that happens this is because this is the moment that not just good versus evil or the protagonist and antagonist but the entire themes clash in a singular moment between two singular characters and it's something that's been reminiscent since following and this is the scene arguably out of his whole filmmaking career which boils down exactly what he's been trying to say um, which is why do what we do at all
1: it's just an explosion of philosophy and what goes on in the human brain in general, not yeah. just his, but just human psyche in general. And
2: it's interesting that he's taken decades worth, a century's worth of comic book material to use it as a mouthpiece for like what, almost what he's been trying to say for what, because this I, I said representation- this during
1: Insomnia. I wish that Nolan took Uh, other people's work more than he does because when he looks at other people's work, you get something that is his, definitely his, but you get something that you can clearly tell he has been harping on for a while where like this is something like clearly the killing joke made an impression on him because he is taking the ideas of that and expunging upon them tenfold. Yes. And just like Insomnia was him taking a novel that was not his and just trying to make it his own. This is what he's doing here, and he's succeeding brilliantly.
2: Dent and Rachel are tied to a chair in warehouses rigged to blow. In a sadistic or generous way, the Joker has allowed Dent and Rachel to talk to one another as they await to be saved. But Rachel knows that only one of them can live. That does not stop her from accepting Dent's pr- proposal of marriage. Dent trying to escape falls spilling oil on his face. Batman walks into the warehouse to find Dent. A holy shit moment. I remember that in the theater. Uh, within seconds, Rachel has died and half of Dent's body combusts into flames. I mean... Tough stuff.
1: Tough day. Tough day.
2: What a tough day. This is really just the worst. This is the worst day in Gotham. Um, I just remember that moment, the why are you here? No, why Why me? I don't remember what, what Dent is screaming and just being like, oh, no, this isn't really happening. Because, of course, you don't ever think the rug is going to be pulled from under you the way it, it they do so much so in this movie. But that moment, you're like, oh, there's got to be something else. There's got to be a way he can save her because... Cinema has taught us from an early age, like, you know, there will always be a way. Just The hero always
1: gets the damsel in distress. And this is a
2: rare moment, not just in comic book movies, but movies in general, where it really takes that left turn. All the while, Joker was able to escape the interrogation room by holding broken glass to a cop's neck. What does the Joker want? I just want my phone call. Again, more plots that I don't know if we have time to Classic go into. Classic
1: Nolan humor.
2: The phone inside one of the Joker's henchmen explodes within the prison. Somehow every cop is knocked unconscious. Uh, Either way, the Joker takes Lau, escaping in a police car, mad dog driving with his head out the window. I feel like that's the moment for me that I'm like, this man's... If I had known, I can't flashback to the 2008 thinking in this moment, but that's the moment. Watching that window as it goes silent, he's got his head out the window. I said, this man's got it. He's got the Oscar. He's got that.
1: This man has... Not only that, but when you watch that, you're just like, the Joker has won. He's won. Absolutely. He's you done everything have, he needs to accomplish.
2: You arguably could have ended the movie at this moment and made it like a two-part film, or you could have just kind of left it in the balance because there's a clear change after this moment based on Rachel's death, Joker escapes. Um, and Joker the introduction of Point. Two-Face. Absolutely. So like it's almost like the movie morphs the movie itself transforms
1: Rachel's death highlights multiple things one this just shows how real and grounded Nolan wanted to make it not everyone can get out alive and this just reinforces the stakes at which are at play here Rachel the conscience within Batman and Gotham City alike have been removed this is literally Two-Face's conscience being ripped out from under him and he's about to go mad.
2: It's a uh, Dan Harmon story circle. This is the character <laughs> having to go through sacrifice. This is the halfway point. This is, I mean, this is it. This is before. I, I, I mean, literally everything changes. The tone of the movie, the plot, everything about the movie changes as of this moment.
1: To quote the dude who summed it up perfectly, that's, uh, that's a bummer, man.
2: It's a bummer. <laughs> Bruce, at his lowest point, sits half encased in his bat suit in Wayne's apartment, going over the night's events in his mind. Looking for reassurance from Alfred, Bruce asks, did you ever catch the man in Burma? Bruce, at this moment, is looking for any semblance of hope. Alfred responds, yes. But in order to do so, they had to burn down the forest.
1: Gordon visits Dent in the hospital. He needs to know which of his men can be trusted, an issue Dent has been warning Gordon Gordon about since the beginning. Dent cannot focus on this anymore. His world has literally blown up. Instead, he wants to hear what Gordon and his fellow police officer's nickname was for him. Gordon reluctantly says, Two-Face, Harvey Two-Face, to which Dent responds, why should I hide who I am? Showing the audience his half-burnt face, which rough stuff,
2: rough stuff. Incredible special effects, by the way,
1: for two thousand eight. Incredible. It's even a little noticeable now.
2: I was gonna say I was giggling before because sometimes I'll say to Robin, I'll, "I'll be, I'll be in a moment," where I'll say, um, "If I it comes up in a moment, I'll say, say it." I'll, you know, <laughs> know like if I'm so say, I'll say, say it, I'll say it, <laughs> and that's always where I'm thinking. That's uh, just a great, very dramatic moment from our. Uh,
1: Gordon apologizes, but Dent responds harshly. You're not sorry. Not yet. The Joker is at the docks atop a pyramid of cash. With Lau taken, Gamble dead, Moroni AWOL, and the Chechnyan about to be fed to his dogs. The city is now his. The Joker burns the cash. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message. Everything burns the Joker has had a change of heart. He no longer wants to know who the Batman is. So the man on TV, Coleman Reese, our good friend, Reese, who I kind of brushed aside in the synopsis, What an interesting character. That who is man Reese? Is the man who threatens to blackmail Lucius Fox for $10 million a year. Oh,
2: yeah, that's right.
1: Uh, Coleman cracker. Reese is on the TV and he's about to reveal the identity of Batman. But the Joker says he no longer wants that. It wouldn't be fun to him anymore. But So Coleman Reese is to be killed within the next hour, or else Joker will blow up a hospital. With the police evacuating the hospitals, Bruce decides to ensure Reese's safety. Let's be real, Reese is in mortal danger. Trying to leave the TV studio, there's a crowd of people waiting to kill Reese, one of which literally shoots at Reese. For subtlety, Bruce takes the Lamborghini to follow Gordon's protection car, leading to Bruce having to literally get into a car accident to ensure Bruce's safety. All the while, the Joker is again operating under the blanket of chaos he has brought. While the police are busy and Batman not being able to operate at full capacity because because it, it's daytime, right? The Joker infiltrates the hospital as a nurse in disguise. Let it, uh, again, I just made another note. Like, let it be noted. It takes Dent far longer than it should to realize (laughs) that the Joker is in the nurse's outfit. I
2: like to imagine a very elongated sketch, maybe like Robot Chicken style. Like, he's just having a pleasant conversation and it's Joker in a very thin mask, like the, um, where you can clearly tell it's him, but that Two-Face doesn't realize and the second one, with the mask is unveiled, it's like he has this freakout moment. Like, how dare you? You
1: know, just if like it was a robot chicken episode, he takes off the ma- the tiny little mask. He's like, "Who, who are you?" I I'm still not ringing a bell. Uh,
2: uh, sure. Either way, I don't recognize the makeup.
1: Either way, the conversation is captivating. In dense current Absolutely. psychological state, the Joker is able to rationalize the irrational dent again in a very emo- in emotional and vulnerable state has descended into the joker's world with his newly double-sided coin he tells the joker heads he lives tails he dies the joker loves it <clears throat> now I we're talking just,
2: say, just going by based off the principle of the hit, the hit me principle of that he grabs the gun
1: and that he really wants him to do it the joker having survived the, the coin toss leaves the hospital blowing it up and stealing a bus, <laughs> and I gotta ask, does the Joker have some connection with the bus agencies now? He has like to, This is he two in a row, guys. Two in a <laughs> row, and the police have not caught on to the fact that he is catching buses.
2: Um, I will say that it's another iconic moment for this movie uh, is the the blowing, trying to hit the button, and then the explosion because it's all that's all one take right there when he's walking up the into the parking lot. I don't know if that's something that was improvised, but they really play it out like it was.
1: The rumor I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not the moment he pushes the button and it, the detonator doesn't go off, <clears throat> he is actually improvising as the joker, because that's what he heard. cannot blow the take. They only have one take. So like if the charge doesn't go off, or if it does go off, he has to remain in character. Right so I don't know if that's true or not, but either way, he that pause from what I heard that pause was improvised.
2: You have to believe that the explosions going on are at least for the most part real. I don't know if they, they ended, are I'm real. sure I'm sure they added maybe CGI fire or what not't I don't, I don't, no.
1: blew that place up for real. The only but thing that they did was uh, net off areas of high debris, so no incredible. debris would come smacking people in the face.
2: but that's another example as to how this is beyond like people talk about how like, he played made the movie and like he arguably does to certain degrees, but it's also like the way that this movie just works out. That's another one of those moments, like him hitting the button. You see the hospital behind, it's not working. Like be it part of the script or not, it's so well articulated that like by the time it explodes and he gets on the bus and it's still the same thing, you're kind of blown away for lack of better words. Another hostage video released by the Joker announcing to the city and the world at Gotham will be his at midnight. Everyone has the opportunity to leave, but the bridges and tunnels have been rigged to blow. Gordon realis- realizing that this is too much tells the mayor that they need the National Guard. Gordon also tells the mayor that they need to evacuate all of the criminals that Dent has apprehended. Who knows what the Joker has planned for them? So we need to get them out of here.
1: (laughs) Get them out of here.
2: Get them out of here. Um, Batman has decided that enough is enough. That's a good way of putting it. Every available tool in the arsenal has to be used to catch the Joker. The clown is not funny anymore. Lucius Fox, much to his reserved feeling, is to help Batman catch the Joker with his new expanded sonar in Wayne Tower. The sonar has the ability to spy on anyone within the city. Very NSA shit. I will say the idea of the government using our phones to uh, track any information has been plausible for years now. This movie's a little, I don't, I don't know if I want to call it ahead of its time.
1: It's ahead of the conversation at least
2: that whole idea of the government FBI. And I do not want to turn this episode into a a political conversation, but that whole concept of uh, a a third party listening um, in terms of technologically based uh, advances is is not only very real, but it's very um,
1: it's happening now. It's literally (laughs)
2: happening as we speak. So it's, it's interesting that I don't, I, I can't really speak for 2008. I mean, that was,
1: that was wow. before snowden that's when this I mean, shit was shit. starting I mean, in its literally infancy it was
2: before snowden and yeah, they this were... is
1: the nsa was doing this and this was a crazy notion at the time because you know you're you just got a cell phone this is like right. the first couple of years of people owning a cell phone let alone right. a smartphone Absolutely. so people are looking at their phone going what does the government care they don't care this is stupid this is just a sci-fi plot point in a movie but it wasn't it was, ahead of the, it's, it was ahead of the conversation.
2: Every time I watch this movie and I look at that segment of the of the plot and I'm like, someone was either doing their homework or they were like Matt groaning this whole thing. Meanwhile, Two Faces beginning his killing spree, which I don't want to dive into it, but like I know you're upset that like your fiance person is killed. But talk about a drastic changing character for Aaron Eckhart. I mean, he's just you know, the white knight senator or whatever, you know, he's running for whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. but it's that's... Just, uh, uh,
2: I get that's the point of the character, but, like,
1: man, it's just... Well, that's what I was, was making a point of earlier when he took that uh, wannabe assassin in the ambulance with the door wide open. Um, um, when he took him, he literally held him at gunpoint. It's not that this wasn't in, Harvey. It just seems that it's buried his nickname was literally two-face Harvey. i will say it's not
2: necessarily out of character but the the transition to that character is it's selfish. abrupt it's very abrupt and it doesn't bother me but i've always noticed in that scene where he's in the car and he'll also need or he's in a bar and he's in the car and he's in know he's with a fox in a box and he's here he's over there whatever dr seuss has written for him um He is a full-blown Two-Face at this point. It is a very quick character transition. Having killed a cop and going after Moroni, also how did then survive that car crash. You're talking about the one with the the limo. When he kills
1: the limo driver, how uh, this man has lost half his body. (laughs) And now he's in a car crash that is meant to kill another person. And within a couple of hours, he's holding people hostage. (laughs) I am pretty sure part of his problem is he's concussed
2: has be, or he's or he's got to be doped up by painkillers i mean you got to imagine right he's got to be a zombie
1: if, at this point you, well you got to
2: imagine right like let's just like break out of like fantasy for a moment this has to be what one two three days maybe a week after rachel's death not even right like it's supposed to be a few days it's later literally right?
1: that day like the day after or two days later because so? <laughs> literally so a- gordon has to go from the explosion at the hospital to uh, the joker <laughs> who is holding the fairies hostage so you're it's right literally within you're a right because right, he's
2: just escaped the prison so it's got to be the next day so to Endeavor the pain of half of your face blown off. You've either got to be doped up on it's nothing compared
1: to having your heart broken, Josh.
2: <laughs> Batman and Lucius find that the Joker is at a building near the docks of Gotham. The Joker has taken two ferries hostage, one with civilians, the others with the criminals Gotham wants evacuated. Joker says that both fairies are rigged to blow each other up and that they have until midnight to do so or else he will blow them both up. With the police in place, Bat- Batman tells uh, Gordon he needs a five-minute head start. Gordon gives him two. In the building, Batman finds the hostages from the bus the Joker stole earlier are in clown masks and the doctors are henchmen this leads to Batman having to attack the police, building police doubt after, uh, uh, building police doubt about his virtue. After the police realize who are the hostages and who are the criminals, Batman makes his way to the Joker.
1: Sitting with his dogs, looking out the ferries, a perfect metaphor for the mad dog that is the Joker. The Joker is waiting to take Batman on. Through the dogs, a lead pipe, a shoe knife, and mainly uh, technical difficulties, let's be real. The Joker is able to overwhelm Batman. As they both wait for the clock to hit midnight aboard the ferries, neither boat can blow the other up. In shock, the Joker watches as his plan to expose the ugliness of humanity blows up in his face. Batman, using his suit's knives, is able to throw the Joker off him and then off the building. The Joker, laughing as he falls, is it? again disappointed, when Batman pulls him up.
0: You just couldn't let me go, could you? This is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. I think you and I are destined to do this forever.
1: True... I I love that line. Oh, me too. True Joker could not corrupt Batman, but everyone needs an ace in the hole. And the Joker's is Harvey.
0: You need an ace in the hole. Mine's Harvey. What did you do? I took Gotham's White Knight and I brought him down to our level. It wasn't hard. See, madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push.
1: Batman realizing that Harvey. the Joker's true plan this whole time leaves him hanging off the building cackling and basking in his supposed victory
2: I will say not to cut you off but the fact that that's the last scene that we have with this version of the Joker is pretty kind of crazy in hindsight because it's it more even more solidifies the identity of this character, because you never, you really never, you're really never answered as to whether or not he's turned in or he's killed or whatever, but you're, and yet you're, you're not left on the plot details. What happens, almost like a Tony Soprano situation. You're not left on what happens to this character, but you're left on like the final lines that they speak. You're left on the final moments that you're left with this character and you're left with this character disappointed. He wasn't thrown off a building and sa- and yet saved he's disappointed that he's, he's disappointed saved.
1: that he was saved
2: right but and he, again and he, he
1: also leaves you with several philosophical bombs right you know he's telling you this is what happens when an uh an unstoppable force meets an immovable object that's what batman has proved to him batman will not break he will never kill so i love let's it. just have fun doing this guy that's what it's, the joker is saying
2: that clash like that whole idea of that the Joker is Batman's greatest villain like this proves why and there's really been nothing since because I remember like fans clamoring to see more of like Joker references and the Dark Knight Rises like even post Heath Ledger's death like like whatever just to make and it's almost like the fact that there's really nothing more beyond Heath Ledger's Joker Nolan's Joker beyond this final scene it's really even the all the more Um, effective that this is all we have this final philosophical quote and there's nothing more like we've already seen a new interpretation of a joker a very different joker and yet it's like this moment is solidified in these final words it's just it's it really all ends with this moment in everything that he's
1: saying and more sickening it's asking you and batman the question like these two are clearly linked can one survive Absolutely. without the other? They Absolutely. Both, you know, that's what the Joker is trying to get at, at by the end. He's like, you and I are simpatico here. We're like destined to do this forever. I like, love it. You're the only one who could stop me. And I'm just having fun with you trying to stop me. I don't know. It's, did you see the Lego so Batman good.
2: movie? I, um, not only did I see the Lego Batman movie, I actually will go as far as to say that's the best Batman movie post the Dark Knight. That's-
1: I completely agree, but what made, <laughs> but this is one of the questions that was asked in that movie. You know, the Joker, Zach Galifianakis's Joker in that movie, so is, good, it's so good. He's upset because he, he, because Batman tells him he doesn't need him.
2: I love it. It's such a good, funny, poignant, self-aware meta point of view of that relationship because what they're doing is they're basically lampooning everything that Dark Knight is saying and they're basically like turning into a giant joke but at the same time putting a giant spotlight like no this is actually the point like you actually need both characters to need each other. Two-Face has taken Barbara Gordon and her two kids hostage. Jim has come to try and save them but holding a gun Two-Face holds all the cards. He is looking for What's fair, quote unquote? He wants to kill one of Gordon's family members in front of Gordon, so he can know the pain. Two Face then does a Sophie's Choice, great way of putting it. Detector and putting Gordon's son as the victim. So Batman shows up before anyone is hurt and tells Two, tells Two Face, the Joker wanted to bring Gotham's white knight down. Dent is beyond the realm of caring. Important notice there. Beyond the realm of care, just like I was saying, he's a different person at this point. he like literally he just harvey dent twenty four hours earlier would have been like, "Well, let's do something about this now, all but he doesn't
1: care it's a he's so narrow minded on getting just revenge or what he deems fair it's it's
2: i mean it's true all he can see is the fair vengeance that he feels deserves. The three men, Gordon, Batman, and Dent, will be held responsible for Rachel's death. Two Face flips the coin for Batman and shoots him. Dent flips, Dent flips the coin for himself, but survives. Very, um, <clears throat> very Joker. Oh, that's a moment that proves Joker's entire um, it worked. Uh, orchestration for chaos, because the whole orchestration of, of Joker holding the gun to his own head is exactly what Dent is doing to himself. He's literally doing nothing better than what Joker is doing in terms of like, oh, well, am I part of the equation? Kill me. They are
1: showing you in more ways than one that the Joker won. The Joker took down Gotham's White Knight. No matter what the outcome,
2: Two-Face is a killer now. So it doesn't, it uh, sorry, Harvey Dent, the politician, the White Knight is a killer now. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if he comes to fruition or not, or if he dies or not. He still crossed this line that Joker wanted him to cross. He did exactly what Bruce couldn't.
1: When the chips were down, his so-called morals were torn apart. Two Face
2: flips the coin for Batman, shoots him. Dent flips the <laughs> coin for him. Dent flips the coin for himself, but survives. Then Gordon needs to lie like I lied, quote unquote and tells his son everything is going to be all right. Really fucked up in hindsight. Before the gun goes off, Batman jumps. Dent falls to his death. Batman ultimately saves Gordon's son. Down beside Dent's corpse, Batman and Gordon lament that Joker has won. Everything, this is what you were saying before, everything Dent has worked for will be undone by Dent's downfall. Batman decides that cannot happen. I killed those people, said Batman. In order to preserve order, Batman must take on the heat for all of Dent's crimes. Gordon, upset, obliges. Batman, on the Batpod, flees the scene, Cape fluttering in the wind.
0: Because it's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. he can take it because he's not hero he's a of guardian a watchful protector
2: a dark this is a callback to earlier when they were talking about what i was saying earlier about uh alfred's lines about batman being able to take the heat and the credits roll Woof. jiminy christmas I, as much as I've wanted to consolidate, even going through Beat by Beat, a film I've seen so many times, I'm still reminded how important it is.
1: This movie, let's just jump into final thoughts here, why don't we? It holds up. (laughs) It's very simple. I know like Josh was saying, there are people out there who don't take this movie as seriously anymore, but it's an amazing movie. This movie, as we keep saying, transcends the genre. And has given me some of my YouTube's most watched videos for quite some time. I unabashedly love this movie and I know that this sounds like me gushing after weeks of kind of crapping on Nolan. Sure, there are plenty of things that are unexplainable in this movie, like how Batman gets in front of who he needs to get in front of or how the Joker has definitely a guy on the pay at the bus company, but those things are tiny compared to everything else this movie should have been best should have been nominated for best picture and arguably should have won
2: uh i remember being blown away when i first saw and it be, the movie became an instant cultural phenomenon and in the years it's be, it's remained its popular status has kind of turned me off from it i remember a few years i remember thinking like oh this movie's not a really big deal and then what would happen is I would revisit it. And I remember revisiting the film only like two years ago or so. And like, I don't know if my parents were watching it, and I kind of sat in with them and just rewatching it and feeling blown away in those same beats that I was when I saw it in the theater. Um, it's one of those things that's kind of in, it's undeniable because like so many people have deemed it so at, at such a, a high status that part of me, naturally wants to rebel against it wants to be like oh well you know everyone talks about it it's hard to you know i don't want to follow the crowd but like every time i revisit it and every time i break it down and this is the most in-depth i've really done you know in writing it and talking about it is that it's just a true staple in uh 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 cinematic uh, a cinematic experience i'm not saying everyone will love it it's not everyone's cup of tea but in terms of like what it establishes as both a comic book movie and just an incredible film it is just it's a staple for nolan's work it's a staple for comic book movies it is a really it's just it is a huge imprint on cinema undeniably
1: it's also so refreshing these days to see a comic book movie that is just about one hero i know that like it's amazing what marvel has pulled off it is i'm not taking anything away from marvel it's a feat but it's also nice to see one hero with no superpowers having to take on an unstoppable force such as the joker and
2: like you said earlier it's not even like it transcends like in the terms of Batman begins being a better comic book movie, which I agree with you. It's this is just a crime movie or a mob movie with characters dressed up in costume. And that's really what makes, what separates it from other movies.
1: So are you ready to give your pick of the week? Oh, uh,
2: wow. Okay. I'm going to say hereditary.
1: Oh, nice.
2: A more recent hit. I'm going to go with something more recent still stay with horror. Uh, less COVID friendly, but still like more paranoid. Um,
1: yeah, severed heads are not that, really COVID friendly.
2: That movie came up in conversation again with all my coworkers, and I keep seeing memes. Um, my plans for 2020 is Charlie's face with a chocolate bar, and it says in 2020. It's the, it's the light post. It's the head. It's the post that. Um, anyway, spoiler alert. That movie came up again, and I that's one of those movies that's so well constructed that the more you watch it the more you can really take away based on how many details are laid out from beginning to finish i can't talk about that movie enough and i think you and i should do a plot breakdown a we should do a whole episode about that maybe if we want to do a two-part area after we'll get there we'll get there but um, yeah,
1: we'll definitely get there i definitely that's want to gonna be my pick
2: Mark. i can't even rave about that movie enough
1: my choice for the week will be Young Frankenstein. What a fun and funny movie. Josh and I were talking before how this is arguably the best Frankenstein movie ever. true. Mel Brooks, at the top of his game, you don't actually see him in this movie, which, you know, to get Gene Wilder to do this movie, he had, Mel Brooks had to promise he would not be in it at all, which is pretty funny. But it's still, I think, one of his... Best, if not his best, movies top to bottom. You're just laughing. Peter Boyle, R.I.P. Oh, Wilder, all R.I.P. all of them. I think most of the cast is gone at this point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to pour a lot out.
1: Shit is like opening up now, and that's great. So, like, let's all laugh about. Let's have a little fun. Let's go back into the world with a smile.
2: And my pick of the week is all about keeping you in terror. And in fear, and making sure that you realize the consequences of your actions if you don't stay the fuck indoors and use your goddamn masks when you go out, we can cut all this.
1: All right, everyone. Uh, Thanks again for anyway. Thanks again for tuning in to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Thank you. As always, you can follow me at. Mr. Filmart on Instagram As and Josh you can
2: follow Stephen at Mr. Filmart You can follow me anywhere. Well, you can follow me anywhere if you try. But like you can follow, definitely follow Stephen.
1: Signing out and and we're well, my- gonna leave him. Leave him with a smile. <laughs>